0: I'm going to start off our time together this morning asking you um, to think. I want you to think of something that you need. And I'm not talking about um, a, a, uh, a want, a surface-level want. I'm not talking about coffee or more sleep or that car you've been wanting or that house you really wish you could move to. I'm talking about a deep, deep need. Think about a need dig for a little bit. For some of you, it's just rising straight to the surface. When I say think of a need, you automatically think about a a relationship that needs to be restored. It needs to be restored. You think about your need to protect your children from everything that seems so messy and scary in the world. You think about the need for this kind of unending mess that's been happening at work that seems like it's never going to be resolved, you need for that to be resolved. I might need healing for sickness. There's some deep, deep needs that we have. And oftentimes when we're in that place where we identify with that need, we know what it is, we connect with it. We find ourselves in a wilderness. We find ourselves looking around and there's just miles and miles of sand with nowhere in sight because these deep, deep needs, oftentimes they're not met overnight. It's not something quick. It's not a quick resolution. But the reason it's so deep is because it's more at the core of who we are. We need. We look around and there's sand and it's for those of us who are following Jesus, we start to ask these questions, God, I I took the step that I thought you wanted me to take, and now I'm here, and I'm in need, or I didn't take the step that I knew that I shouldn't take, but here I am, and I'm in need, and so you thought you were doing what God wanted you to do, but here you are, you're in need, I'm in need, And we don't know what to do with it. You definitely feel like you're outside of God's blessing, even though you know you're inside God's will. And you feel it because of this need. Now, for some of us, um, it's just this step of obedience. For some of us, we are in the wilderness and we are in need and we're here by our own making, by our own choice, We've made some decisions that have left us in a place where we're in desperation. Those relationships need restore because we are the one that broke them, and now we're paying out the repercussions of that relationship. We feel like we want to take one step away or one step toward, but we're not really sure what to do. We know that we landed ourselves here, but we just want resolution. We know that there's a need, and it needs to be met. The crazy thing about either circumstance, either situation, though, is whether we were following God in obedience or we landed in this place of need on our own, even once that need was resolved, even if we come to a place where that need is met, there is always one more need that is waiting closely in line behind the need in front of it. There's always one coming after it. We're often like Esau was with his brother Jacob, looking for our temporary hunger pains to be filled only to give up things that are lasting in order to get it. So we find ourselves in this wilderness. We are inside God's will, but we are outside of God's blessing. And we need to identify with it because of our need. And so on the outset this morning I want us to consider as we think about that need, that thing that popped to the front of our mind, the thing that we need so desperately, what if God allows that need? So that we can only be fully satisfied by him, regardless of what it is, what if God allows that need in your life in my life, so that we can only truly, fully be satisfied by him this morning we 're in the wilderness again last week. Jacob got us um, started off. He took us from Adam to Abraham to Moses to Joseph to Moses, um, and then Moses was leading god 's people out of uh, slavery into freedom, out of Egypt, toward the wilderness. And so we're going to spend the rest of these next five weeks kind of looking at Israel, looking at them in the wilderness. And as we look at them, we want to be really careful that we identify with Israel, not as an example for us of how we should respond, but an example of us and how we see ourselves in them. Israel is like looking in a mirror. So even the text that we look at this morning in Exodus chapter 16, we're going to read through it and we're going to identify with this idea of need, not looking to respond like Israel does, but seeing how Israel responds and totally connecting with it and watching how God responds in return. So if you want to look with me, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to kind of bite this off in a couple different little um, chunks throughout the morning, because it's a decent amount of scripture to cover. Um, but we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16, and um, we're going to start with verse 2. It's going to start with verse 2. And the first thing that we're looking at is a people in need, a people in need. This is Exodus 16, starting in verse 2. It says in the whole congregation of the people of Israel they grumbled against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So Israel, they've been delivered from slavery, they're in freedom now, they're in the wilderness, Moses is leading them, rough estimations, there's about um, 2 plus million people, we're not talking about just kind of like a, a, a small family reunion um, out near um, a, a sand beach volleyball court, we're talking about 2.4 million people wandering around in the wilderness. And at this point that we land in Exodus 16, um, they're about 45 days in. It tells us that they're about halfway through the second month that they've been in the wilderness. And we read what they're saying, we read what we see here, and it says, you know, basically they would rather have died by the hand of the Lord by the plagues or by the killing of the firstborn back in Egypt than to have gone into the wilderness only to die by starvation. Now, we have to know that there's a little bit of exaggeration that's happening here. Um, this is a lot like uh, a child or me at times when I go to the pantry door and I open it and I say, there's nothing to eat in here. Has anybody ever done that? Okay, just me. All right, so really what we're saying is not that there's nothing to eat in our house. I've done this even after Holly has been to the store within the past day or two. Really what I'm saying is this isn't what I want. We have things, but it's not what I want. So I'm going to translate into this isn't what I need. When in reality, the scriptures tell us that the Israelites, these 2.4-ish million people that are wandering around in the wilderness, they had herds, which means they had access to milk. They could have made cheese. They could have even eaten meat if they had to. But they find themselves looking to Moses, looking to Aaron, complaining, grumbling, whining about their need for food. They um, they look and they say, at least in Egypt, we would sit by the meat pots and we would have, um, we would eat bread until we're full. It's like this idea of this Egyptian, they paint it so nicely, this Egyptian golden corral with this really nice carving station that's like hidden off in the corner and you can just get as much as you want. At least I'm full, I can go back to the never-ending bread bar and get as many kind of rolls or French bread or whatever, I can get whatever I want because life was so lavish and great when we were back in Egypt. They're totally dramatizing the whole situation altogether. And we get this when we look at Israel, when we look at their response to not getting what they want and transferring that over as a need— We get that. There are times where we would rather not go on in whatever given situation if it's not going to turn out exactly like we wanted it to. Surely if God was going to deliver them from slavery in Egypt, he was going to bring them into a place where they would get all these things that they wanted. It would be the exact opposite of what they had. Harsh labor, rations of food very, very stringent work hours, all those sorts of things, surely God was going to give them the exact opposite thing. They would not have to work. God would provide anything and everything they wanted in terms of provision and housing and food and all those sorts of things. We often land in that same spot. If, it, if it's not going to go the way that I feel like or I perceive my, my need is, if it's not going to go that direction, I just don't even want to go. I'd rather go back we would often rather live in someone else's someone else's reality like it's our fantasy than to be present exactly where we are okay so they blame someone else for their need they blamed moses they blamed aaron you brought us out here just so that we would so that we would die they didn't remember the harsh conditions and they didn't remember their strong desire, their need for freedom that they had when they were in Egypt. They only knew that they didn't have what they thought they needed. Um, a singer-songwriter that Holly and I listened to a good bit, she has a song, and she says, um, kind of talking about this very situation, the place that I was wasn't perfect. We can identify with this. The place that I was wasn't perfect, but I'd found a way to live. And it wasn't milk or honey, but then neither is this. I'm painting pictures of Egypt. I'm leaving out all the things that it lacks because the future, it seems so hard. And I just want to go back to where I was because it seemed at least easier back there. This one need that I had when I was back there, it wasn't, wasn't present. So in verses two and three, we see a people in need, but then we drop down to verse four and we see a God who knows the deeper need. Read verse four with me. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people will go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my law. So the people, they complain to Moses and Aaron. They blame someone else and they ask someone else for a resolution. But what we see happens here in verse four is that God heard them and God actually knew their deeper need. God heard them and God responded. But he didn't just respond to their physical need, but to the deeper spiritual need of dependence. Read again the way this verse shakes down. It says, I will rain, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. They'll go out and gather a day portion every day. Why? That I may test them to see whether or not they will walk in my law or not, to see whether or not they will be dependent on me in the way that I will provide for them. Raining bread from heaven. Even when Moses um, heard this, you have to think that like these really weird ideas started going through Moses' mind, and he had seen some pretty crazy things, bushes on fire, plagues, all that kind of stuff. But now, this next step, God's going to rain bread from heaven. So the people were supposed to go out, and they were supposed to gather one day's portion. Later on in Exodus 16, it tells us that they were supposed to gather an omer, which is about half a gallon. And the Scriptures tell us that whenever they gathered... That they didn't have too little, they never had had not enough, and they never had too much. They had just the right amount in the way that God provided for them. And that this was a test to see if they would walk in God's law. Um, Later on in Exodus 16, God gives some pretty strict ideas about this way of collection, of the way that it should look. They should go out and they should gather that half gallon. So imagine that half gallon ice cream carton that you emptied last night. Okay, you go out there with your half-gallon ice cream carton, and you're filling it up with the manna, right? And God says that whenever you fill that up, you're going to take it back in, you're going to boil it, you're going to bake it, you're going to do whatever you want to. And he kind of explains that it's like this thing that will, will be, be able to be made into bread. But don't keep any for the next day. It's only good for that one single day. No more, except for on the sixth day. On the sixth day, the day before Sabbath, when God would desire that all of his people would rest, again, the Sabbath is a, is a, a thing that God instituted so that we would be dependent on him, show our need for rest. Then on the Sabbath, they would gather enough for two days. And only on that day would they be able to gather two half gallons, the big gallon ice cream bucket. They'd be able to fill that whole thing. They'd take it inside. And if they tried to preserve any before, the next day when it would wake up, there would be maggots and worms. It would be really gross and totally unusable. Um, Moses even got mad at one point because he said it just smelled so bad when some of the people tried to hoard it. But on the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, that extra portion would be kept until the next day. So God's saying, I'm going to provide enough for one day that the people will, will see whether or not they're going to walk in my law or not, whether or not they're going to trust my provision for them, and whether or not they're going to be dependent on me. And then for us, we see this. For those of us that have, have decided to follow Jesus with our lives, we've said that you have provided for me my greatest need in life. And that is a restored relationship to the creator God himself. So God knows our need, and then he provides for our need with himself in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so for those of us that are following Christ, we know that God has provided, and we know that he's going to give us just what we need, what he knows that we need for today. And that he wants us to walk in relationship with him, trusting him alone, Because he's the only one that can meet our every single need. He wants us to be in relationship with him. This seems to be God's method, this whole scenario seems to be God's method for teaching us. He takes something physical or temporary and then he shows us the deeper spiritual meaning or deeper spiritual implication behind whatever that thing is. Think about Jesus' teaching. He would use these common everyday scenarios, situations, um, uh, occupations, Even scenery, he would use all these sorts of things to point something out. Like, look at those birds in the air. Look at those flowers of the field. See how God has provided for them food and shelter? How much more does God love you and care for you? It's the same way that Jesus taught. He took plain, temporary, physical things and gave them a spiritual reality. And for us, if we will keep our eyes open and pay close attention to our need, there's deep spiritual implication there. So there's a people in need, a God who knows a deeper need, and then we see a God who is near. Look with me in verses 9 through 12. It says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness." And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So they've grumbled, they've complained. Moses and Aaron have heard. God has spoken back to Moses and Aaron, saying I'm going to provide exactly what they need for that day. Then Moses and Aaron pull everybody together. They start to speak to the people and say, this is God's plan. You have whined. You have complained. God is going to provide, not just to fill your bellies, but so that you will remember that he is your God, that he is the one who is for you. But first, God gets their attention. He captures their eye with his glory is the way that the text reads for us. This is a reminder of his presence in their midst, not just his provision, but his actual presence there with them, before them. They look off and they see his glory there. In the middle of their need, whether they handled it correctly or not, in the middle of their need, God made his presence known. And it it was unquestionable at that point that we are a people of need. God knows our deeper need and that God is near. He tells them that meat and bread is on its way, just like they were reminiscing back about back in Egypt, but with pots and bread that will be never ending. Um, so as I was kind of thinking through this, it's, it's kind of this interesting picture that Moses and Aaron would gather this mass accumulation of people together and he's telling them what God is going to do. And as he's telling them off in the distance, you see God's presence out there. And we don't—we know it's a cloud, but we don't know exactly what it, it looks like. And it would be easy, I think, and maybe this is just the way my mind works, to be able to look out there and be like, I'm hungry. My stomach's growling. I see a sandstorm out in the distance. What, what all does this have to do with feeding my hungry belly? Um. Recently, uh, I guess within the past three or four weeks or so, my mom was uh, diagnosed with cancer for the third time around, Um, and she is a tough, tough woman who has fought this many times, but this was just a huge blow. I mean, it was a huge blow to her, a huge blow to our family, and um, we all kind of like took it in really, really different ways. Um, but we uh, we heard the news, we went up to Nashville, that's where I'm from, and we spent the night there and uh, heard from a great number of friends just kind of reaching out, saying that they were praying for us, and um, just really appreciate so many of you who have done that, but um, went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, and was talking to my mom as she was standing at the coffee pot. And so there's these questions that are running through our heads. If you if you said, like, what is your need, our need would be for healing, our need would be for these things that are in our brain to disappear, Right? Um, But we have a God who knows our deeper need. I was standing at the coffee pot with my mom the next morning and um, just asking her how she slept that night. And she said, you know, I got up around four and... um, I just had a really hard time going back to sleep. I just feel like the enemy was just kind of playing games with my head, making me think all these different sorts of things. And um, I was just like, I'm really sorry. And I go back to, you know, go back to the bedroom, pick up my phone. And a friend had sent me a text saying, I woke up at four o'clock this morning, um, just couldn't sleep anymore and just really felt like the Lord wanted me to pray for your mom. Um, Pray specifically for comfort and for rest. So I went back to my mom and I said, did you end up going back to sleep? And she said, yeah, I was only up for a little bit, but it was just really intense when it was. Now, it would be easy for me to look at that like the Israelites could have looked at the sandstorm, They could have, or God's presence. They could have looked out there, and they just could have said, that's, that's coincidence. That's a sandstorm. Moses and Aaron are talking. Out there, there's something happening. When in reality, God's presence is with us. He's near to us in so many ways in the midst of our need. My mom needed comfort. God was reminding her of his presence with her in that moment, by somebody who was 200 miles away, getting up and interceding on her behalf. God knew that we needed comfort to be reminded that God knows our situation, that he knows our deeper need, and our deeper need as a people is to be dependent on him and nothing else, not doctors, not a paycheck, not that we can manipulate a situation for a relationship to work, but that we would be completely 100% dependent on him. Our God, he is near. Look with me at verses 13 through 15. He's not just near, he's also faithful. It says, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And as Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So God has done exactly what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to provide for them and he provided for them. Now, what's interesting about God's provision here is that he provided in both familiar and in unfamiliar ways. So the first thing that shows up is the quail shows up. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, a birdie came by. We're talking about enough quail for 2.4 million-ish people Okay? To be able to eat meat in some fashion or another. Lots and lots of quail. And any quail hunters out there know this, you don't get a whole lot of meat off a of quail, right? A lot of quail. So they show up, and this is a familiar thing to Israel. They have, um, uh, being in Egypt, they would eat quail um, whenever they were there, or they would see other people eat quail, because it was, um, it was probably a, a delicacy of sorts. It was something that... that it's like filet. Only, you only eat it on special occasions or when nice things roll around. So they were familiar with it. But then he also provides in unexpected ways. He provides with this frost looking flake like thing that's on the ground and they walk outside and they don't have a clue what to do with it. And so they actually say, what is it? Which actually what manna means, which is what Israel ended up calling it. That's what it means. Manna means what is it? So it just, just stuck. They go out there and they see God's provision for them in both familiar and unfamiliar ways. But again, it was only enough for one day. The manna kept on coming back. The scriptures tell us that um, God provided with that flake-like stuff on the ground to be, able to, made into, uh, to be able to be made into bread for 40 years, the entire time that Israel was in the wilderness. But it was just enough for the day. Extended means of self-provision, trying to gather more, in order to have more later, in order to not have to be dependent on God to provide the next day, it was not going to work. Yesterday's manna would never be good for today. We see at the same time that just as God is near, that he is also faithful, that he provides for us in ways sometimes that we're expecting and sometimes we would never even dream about. But the goal again at the same time is daily dependence. Just like Israel had to depend on God day after day after day, week after week after week, year after, follow me, year after year after year, he was training them, training their hearts, not just their stomachs, to be completely and fully dependent on him to meet their needs, not just to fill their bellies, but to show that he is the only one who can provide. And even after this, we have to remember, we've now gone from a place where they were in complete need, they were making their need known, to now abundance. God's provided these quail and he's provided the manna, the bread for them to eat. But they were still in the desert. And they were in the desert for 40 more years. So their conditions, their surroundings, they didn't necessarily change super dramatically, except for the fact that God provided for them and he trained them in dependence on himself over and over and over again. Again, look with me at uh, verses 33 through 35. It says, And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people ate manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. We see that God's provision here is something that he wanted people to know for years and years and years and years years to come. That God not only provided, but he was dependable and he could be depended upon and that that was his desire for them and that that's his desire for us. That's why he wanted this story of provision to continue on for generations, generations, and generations to come. It continued on to Jesus himself. We're going to read in John chapter 6 here in just a second. But it continues also to us. That's what we're talking about here this morning. God tells us in this passage, his desire for us as we read this text. That he is the Lord our God and that he alone provides That's his desire for us. Whatever that need is that popped to the top of your mind, I want you to hear this truth laid over that, that he is the Lord our God and he alone provides for us. So whatever efforts we make to try and aim towards self-provision or to try and subside the hunger pains for whatever we feel like our need is, the only true answer is to turn to God in complete Dependence. This is true for us. God's near, God's faithful, but God acts for. Our good for the people's good, but also for his glory. Their stomachs were filled, but ultimately not for temporary hunger to go away, but that they would know that he was the Lord their God. Our needs are met, not just so our need will go away, but so that we will remember that he is the Lord our God. We can pray for resolution. We can pray for whatever situation we have to be undone. But there's another situation and another need directly behind it. Only so we will turn to God in complete dependence. What, what God told Moses and Aaron to do here to keep this jar, to preserve some manna, it was evidence of generations to come of God's faithfulness to, uh, to them. And for us this morning, as we think about God's faithfulness to us, or we even hear stories from our brothers and sisters around us of God's faithfulness to them, it acts as a witness. It screams loudly that God is faithful, that God is in control, that God is with us, that we are not alone, that he is near, he is faithful, that he acts for our good, but he works for his glory. God's work is evidence to us and to others of his character and his care toward us. God's faithfulness, this jar of manna, it's like a family heirloom of sorts. We recently inherited um, some furniture uh, from family. And uh, we put this table in our front entryway. So when you walk in the front door, it's literally the first thing that you see. And whenever I walk through there, walk into it, I think about how old it is every time I see it, right? I actually don't even know how old it was. It was Holly's grandmother. So in my mind, it's like old, okay? Um, So I look at it and I think, man, that thing looks old. And there's like, there's some, some aging, some character on it, right? And I think it doesn't bother me at all. Because when I look at that piece, I think about experience. I think about time. I think about how it's weathered child-rearing. And there's this, follow me on this, there's this part of me that's like, okay, life's going to keep going on. (laughs) God has been faithful before. He's going to be faithful again. And just like that furniture, those family heirlooms bear witness to God's faithfulness, our lives do the same thing to one another. We speak of and we champion the work of God, not so that we can elevate ourselves or to make ourselves look like people that are prized to be worked on behalf of, but to elevate the good work of God in our lives, ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ. And that is really where all of our needs point. That we have need after need after need after need after need after need after need 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 physically in our lives. Only points that we have a deeper spiritual need inside of us that can never be met by anything physical. Never be met by anything physical. But can only be met by God himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And when he does that work and when we respond to his work for us in Jesus... That need being met lasts for all of eternity. We're adopted into his family. We are his children. We are his sons and daughters. Never to leave his side. Look with me in John chapter 6. So John chapter 6, the beginning part of it, um, Jesus has just uh, fed the 5,000. People were sitting there and um, uh, it was dinner time and, They're asking how are they they going to feed all the people, and they end up finding this boy who has his sack supper of five barley loaves and two fish, and Jesus prays, food multiplies, they feed these 5,000 plus, we know 5,000 men, so it was a really, really good crowd of people. He feeds all these people and there's stuff left over, and then the people that witness this, they start chasing him. So look with me in verse 26, it says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of those loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. For on him, God, the father has set his seal. And then he said to them, what was me? What, what, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the work of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven And gives life to the world. They said to him, give us this bread always. If it's bread that's going to give us life, bread that never ends in its satisfaction, give it to us and never let us stop having it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Jump down to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of my bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He would give himself in order for us to be satisfied. See, as we look at Exodus chapter 16 this morning, what Exodus does is it points us to Jesus. One commentator, Philip Ryken, he says, the manna in the wilderness was something from the Old Testament that pointed to salvation in Christ. The manna taught Israel to depend on God for all their needs, but it had certain limitations. It was only bread, so it could only meet physical needs and only for a little while. The meaning of the manna is that we all need Jesus, we all need Jesus. God meets our deepest need, our eternal need in himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the scriptures tell us to have that need met, all we have to do is confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that God will save us. That if we repent, turn from our self-pursuit, and turn toward belief in Christ, that he will save us and he will meet that need. And there are some of you in this room this morning that those hunger pains that you feel will not be met by anything you can receive. It will only be met by relationship with God through the person of Jesus. And this morning, I invite you to respond. Respond. I invite you to respond to that open invitation of confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead on your behalf, that you could have that need met. At the end of the service, we're gonna have some folks down front in the balcony that would love to talk with you more about that. God meets our need through the person of Jesus. This morning, friends, as we think about the idea of need, I wanna land on these two ideas. And that is one, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, we are met with an opportunity. We are met with an opportunity when we feel our need to redirect our hearts. Um, we, have, uh, we have four kids. Any of you have kids, grandkids, been around kid? Were are a kid once yourself. You know that kids ask one question a lot. Why? 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 My prayer this morning is, is that as we identify with need in our lives and really look at it as an opportunity to redirect our hearts towards God's provision for us in himself, that we would ask that deeper question of why. Why do I feel unsatisfied? Why do I feel like this need needs to be met? Why do I feel like I have to work and manipulate on my own to try and accomplish it for myself? Why? And then turn our hearts towards God as the one who will provide. So what if God allows our need so that we can fully be satisfied by him? Friends, it's not a what if. It's not a questioned proposition. It is a fact and a reality. That God allows our need, even our surface level needs, to point to our deeper need that we have for relationship with him and dependence on him day by day by day, week by week by week, year by year by year. And whatever that situation is that popped to the front of your mind when I ask at the top of the service, what is that need? God desires that you would take that need and you would latch it to him and you would be completely 100% dependent on him to meet that need. And I'm not talking about ask for anything you want, everybody look under your pews, we're giving away cars today. I'm talking about whatever that deep, deep need is that you have. Know that God knows your deeper need and he will meet that deeper need with himself. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, we thank you for your word and we thank you for even watching this group of people through your scriptures wander around and ask questions and admit need just like we do. When we feel like we are trying to do everything we can to follow you, but feel like we're not in the middle of your blessing and we confess that need to you, God, this morning, I say for us collectively together that we're thankful you know our deeper need We are thankful that you are near to us. We are thankful that you are faithful to us. We are thankful that you work for our good, but ultimately for your glory. And in all these things, we'd see this culminated in the person of Jesus. So God, as we come to you with our needs, these things that are broken, that need fixed, these things that are wrong, that need to be made right, God, we tell you that we trust you, that we want to depend on you, that we know that you are faithful. God, please help us to lean into that truth and to act on that truth today. We pray in Christ's name, amen.